Good morning. Let's, uh, let's begin our time of worship with a word of prayer. Almighty God, you pour out the spirit of grace and supplication on all who desire it. Deliver us from cold hearts and wandering thoughts, that with steady minds and burning zeal, we may worship you in spirit and in truth, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus lives today. He walks with me, talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Please join me in your bulletin for our prayer of confession. Let us pray. The Good Shepherd calls us. We know our shepherd's voice, but fail to heed it. Merciful God, to walk paths of righteousness and enjoy your life abundant, we must follow you in trust and obedience. Though you beckon us, we go our own way. Though you defend us, we are filled with fear. You spread a table before us. Our cup overflows. We judge those with whom we are seated. You worry rather enough. In your mercy, forgive us, Lord. Take us by the hand and guide us in your ways. Help us to rest in your company and there learn to be grateful and generous. Holy God, holy and mighty, Holy Immortal One, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. Therefore, in Christ, we stand forgiven. Thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so let us live.
As we come to the word of God, let's have a word of prayer. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. Roll away the stone from our ears and our eyes that we might hear and see your truth for us in your word today as it is read and preached. And remove any stoniness of heart, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first lesson is from the epistle, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. Peter is writing to talk to us about the fact that we suffer for following Christ. Hear now the word of God. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes to the gospel according to the chapter 2 of Acts, believe it or not. A generous sharing versus hoarding is the text's theme. Hear now the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon them because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as had any need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There have been entire books written on the fact that we are one of the most anxious cultures in modern time. There are more drugs dispersed for the anxieties disorders than probably any other drug for those both over and under 30 years of age in the United States. Anxieties range from the inability to function at all to increased inability to function but carrying through with responsibilities. We see this in our college community. We see this in our jobs. Uh, some of us may even see it in our friends and relatives. Anxiety has a crippling effect. 
It is more than just worrying. Anxiety is, in fact, an innate fear that something is going to go wrong. What is the biblical answer to anxiety? I'm not talking here about worrying a little bit about this or that. I'm talking about a deep inability to literally, physically, or mentally function because you are afraid. The text that we read this morning from 1 Peter and from Acts chapter 2, I believe present to us an antidote for anxiety. Now, before I jump on this wagon, I want to say very, very clearly that Anxiety is, in fact, a mental illness in some and requires medical treatment. I am not denying that, nor do I wish in any way, shape, or form to say what I'm saying today is somehow a cure for all mental illness related to anxiety. But the anxiety that we live with is an anxiety that permeates our culture It is a fear of what's going to happen if the economy collapses. It's a fear if the atomic nuclear plants in Japan collapse and the whole world is set to light, if you will. It is the fear that undergirds and underrides all that goes into the media, to the the culture of the music in which that we listen to, the news that we hear on both TV and radio, there is anxiety about whether or not things are going to be okay. The passages that we read this morning, Peter is addressing Christians in the first century. What I like about this comparison of these two texts is in Acts chapter 2, you'll see that in the fellowship after the disciples are aware that Jesus has in in fact risen from the dead and that Jesus Christ has sent the Spirit, they find fellowship, they find comfort, they find community with each other in eating together in their homes, in teaching each other the things that the apostles and that Jesus taught. But it also says that they were having the goodwill of all the people. The early Christians, from the day of Pentecost forward until the beginning of the rise of the Christian movement in the Roman Empire, was no major threat. It was like, you know, a movement that everyone assumed would go away. And there was no major threat from the culture Because who had the power to stand up against Rome? The Jews couldn't do it. And why would this cult somehow be able to pull that off? By the time Peter writes to the churches of the first century, things were changing. Things were changing drastically. Nero had destroyed Jerusalem, raised it to the ground in flames. The Christian movement had now spread throughout the Mediterranean world and the Roman Empire as a whole. 
By the time Peter writes, this thing that everyone assumed would go away has become a major force, a major movement, a major religious development in the life of Europe and the Middle East. By the time Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Christians are suffering. There are, there are now attempts to put the Christian movement down. And with that persecution, with that suffering, came growth in numbers and power. What Peter writes in this passage is about suffering. And you say, well, okay, well, how is suffering related to anxiety? The suffering that Peter writes about is suffering that is undeserved. It is bad treatment, ill treatment that you didn't deserve. You didn't do something bad in order to be punished. The suffering is in terms of persecution, ill treatment, and the lack of the people's approval anymore. That's why he writes that you have God's approval. Because Christianity by this point had lost the approval of the culture in which it was born. What does Peter say? When you are living in a world that is not friendly to Christianity, when you are living in a world in which Christianity is not the religion of the culture or the society, you will suffer. Because we have criteria, we have value, we have understandings of the way the world works that do not match the world at large. Now, for many years, we in the United States and Europe and around the world have not suffered because we were Christians. We have not suffered on the basis of the fact that we confess Christ as Lord. Yes, there have been places in the world where it has occurred. If you remember the whole movement with Brother Andrew and taking Bibles into Russia, I grew up in a whole generation that knew that there was persecution of Christians in Russia and China and other parts of the world. That, but it didn't happen here. It didn't happen in America. It didn't happen in Europe. It didn't happen in the Christian world, the Christendom in which we lived. But it is happening now. It is happening now. Because, you see, I have told you this several times now, and I need to keep telling you this, Christendom is crumbling. Christendom is no longer the accepted cultural more that it has always been in our lives. People don't care anymore about the values that we value as Christians. It is not a matter of us as believers today somehow trying to figure out how other people are being persecuted for their faith. Believe me, there are people in our own country who are being persecuted because of their beliefs. Maybe not in the same way that you and I think of going to jail, 
being uh, forced into labor. But the persecution comes very subtly. It's the persecution of, don't take that seriously. All that resurrection stuff, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a figment of their imagination. Just let them go. Let them get it out of their system. It's when you begin to relativize the truths that we hold dear and hold as the foundation and the basis of who we are. That collapse, that dismemberment, if you will, of what we know to be Christendom has begun to happen in very, very visible ways. It happens, I think, in the life of young people, in watching their emotional lives and relationships crumble because of the anxiety. It happens to families. It happens to couples. The anxiety of somehow or other, things are not right. Things are not well with us. The question of anxiety and what quenches it, Paul addresses in his text. And that is to focus our eyes on the cross. I once had a Jewish family appalled that I had a cross hanging in my house. It was when I was a house parent in Hershey. They wondered why and had the, the good intention, I think, to spur a conversation, asked me, why is it that Christians choose a symbol of torture as a symbol that represents their faith? We don't understand as Jews why you celebrate such a violent, torturous symbol. I had never thought of it that way before, to be honest with you. But you see, Peter understood why that is. The cross is absolute, complete injustice. It's the epitome of injustice. The cross represents everything going wrong for what you thought was the right reason. The cross of Jesus Christ represents absolute injustice. An innocent man is tortured and killed for no good reason. And for some reason, the mystery of all of this is that for some reason, when that death hits the universe, it absolutely shakes the foundations of what we know as time and space. It's expressed in the scriptures as the darkness that comes over the world, the earthquake that trembles the mountains. It is the physical expression of a universe that has been turned upside down because the just has been made unjust. The God who is pure, who is love, who is just, who is right, has been undone 
on a wooden cross. What other injustice can there be? But that is not the end of the story. That's why there's Easter Sunday after Good Friday. And that's why we, with Paul or with Peter, can understand that when there is injustice, either physical, personal, economic, political, cultural, social, relational, I don't care what kind of injustice, whenever and wherever it occurs, that injustice has been already consumed by the work of Christ on the cross. And our identifying with Christ by faith enables us to get past that persecution, that anxiety, that suffering. He was abused, Peter says. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in him. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed. Wow. By his wounds you have been healed. This work of Christ on the cross is a work that undoes the very basis of justice. Because in the work of Christ on the cross, this innocent, pure human being who dies for no good reason with all of our sin laid upon him, if you will, all of the injustice that humans can inflict on each other is laid on him. And when that tomb is sealed, and when those believers believe that it's all over, that the injustice has won, that somehow or other this crazy world in which we live, the wrong is always going to win out over the right. There is resurrection morning. There is the message that he is risen. That is not just a blatant light at the end of the tunnel metaphor. That is a universal given, an absolute foundational change to the way things are. Never again will injustice be able to win over justice. Never again will wrong be able to undo or outdo right. There is set in motion in what Christ does on the cross and then in his resurrection that says that this universe is on its way to returning to the God who made it. With values, with understandings of justice and rightness and love and mercy that God has, not the world. You and I live in this reality. You and I live in the post-Easter reality. 
And for us, when there is anxiety, when there's fear, when there's that unspeakable sense that somehow or other it's not ever going to be right, when there is hopelessness because of it, all of these are addressed by this one word. Resurrection. Without the resurrection, Peter, all of the apostles, and the church knew there was nothing to the Christian message. It's just another, another game we play without the resurrection. It's just another foolish way that people try to make themselves feel good. Without the resurrection, the world is still sick. The, the world is still wrong. You and I are resurrection people. You and I face our suffering, face our anxiety, face our struggle with life in this world, knowing that God is indeed going to win. And we will win with God. Justice will prevail. Right will win over wrong. I will tell you a personal story. My wife was raised in an agnostic home. Her father was a PhD in, or EDD in education. Her mother was a uh, primitive Methodist, uh, evangelical United Brethren girl that married an agnostic and became more agnostic than he, I suppose. They raised their children agnostically. Nothing was for sure. Everything was up for grabs. My wife had a very difficult university experience, career. And only after she left the university and began her own career did she encounter of all things, the book of Revelation. She had never read the scriptures before. She picked up the book of Revelation and she started to read it in absolute ignorance of anything more than what the story said. And guess what happened? Without any of the mental games of trying to figure out all the symbols and how they relate to the Old Testament and who they represented in time and space and history, reading the story from beginning to end, she got to the end of the book and she said, Oh my God, you're going to win. You're going to win. And that became the basis for her faith. She became a Christian in finishing the book of Revelation because in her mind it established the fact once and for all that God would win. That God's justice and love and mercy and kindness and goodness would actually undo, conquer, put away forever the wrong and the injustice, and the evil. We need that kind of revelation faith 
in our world today. We need it for ourselves, we need it for our churches, and we need it for Christianity as a whole. We need to be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection establishes once and for all that God is in fact more powerful than any injustice or evil we can conjure up. And that we are on the winning side if Jesus Christ is our Lord. And there is nothing that can undo that. That is where we hold. That is where we go from. That is our foundation. And that is why I preach up here every Sunday morning. You gather there to listen and to wait upon God with me. And we move out from this place doing crazy things like feeding hungry people, sheltering street people, and running errands for people who can't take care of themselves, visiting people in hospitals and praying with strangers. All the things that don't make sense if there's no foundation. We are resurrection people. And we live with a God who is going to win. And we are on God's side. Rest in that. Rest in it. Believe it. Trust it so. And allow God to be there for you in your suffering, in your anxiety, in your pain, in your struggle. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the apostles knew firsthand all about the reality of the resurrection. They also knew firsthand the reality of struggle, persecution, and hardship. Grant to us the grace today to face whatever comes in this life, in this world, in the life of our congregation or in the lives of us individually. Enabling us, O Lord, to believe that you are still in control, that you are sovereign, that you will win, and that victoriously Jesus will return to take us unto himself. We pray these things through his name, powerful, and precious as it is. Amen. Sing praise and bless the Lord, peoples, nations, alleluia. Sing praise and bless the Lord, sing praise and bless the Lord, peoples, nations, alleluia. Together let us confess our faith, saying, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. We come to our morning offering, a time when we share a portion of the abundant blessing that God has given us with each other for the work of Jesus Christ in this place. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise God above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, you prosper us and bless us each day. We give to you and to the work of your kingdom in this place to the glory of Jesus Christ, because we are loved by you. And we seek in every way to love you back. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Amen. I'd like to move into our work of worship in prayer today by simply opening a time of prayer. Um, I will have an opening word, and then if you would simply say out loud your concerns, I will end each of your concerns with, Lord, in your mercy, and we will all say together, Hear our prayer. Okay? Is that easy enough? Let's go to prayer. Father in heaven, there is no way we can understand what happened at Calvary. But we know this, that it changes lives. The work you did there has the capacity to make us over into new people to help us to see things in new ways, to free us from 
old ways of understanding and believing. It liberates us. It guides us. It enables us, O Lord, to come in a day like this, in this place and this time, to share honestly and forthrightly with you and with each other the concerns of our hearts and our lives. And so we share today. We pray for for John and his move into new housing and uh, living situation. Lord, in your mercy. For Nick and for your guidance in bringing his life into balance. Lord, in your mercy. For Leroy and Betsy, Lord, in your mercy. For Pam and the struggle and suffering of divorce. Lord, in your mercy. For graduates as they graduate into a world where they can see bright opportunity. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For Jana and her family and her passing into glory. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For these attacks and for the life around this building and the life on this campus, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For Janice in her surgical need, we, Lord, in your mercy, for the flooding that affects those in Louisiana, Tennessee, Lord, in your mercy, for the Gosniks under persecution in Egypt, Lord, in your mercy. For Patrick and his viral infection, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the week ahead, O Lord, filled with all kinds of exciting things, we ask that we as a congregation, O Lord, uh, be constantly open to your providing and leading and directing. We thank you for the way you have blessed us. We thank you for the opportunities we have been given. And we come as disciples of Jesus Christ today, knowing that you, in fact, are on our side, or better yet, that we are on your side in all that we are and all that we do. And because of this, we pray from the depths of our heart the prayer Jesus taught us, boldly saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now I'd like to make some invitation and announcements. This Wednesday... At 10.30, uh, we are getting a very large shipment of food in for the food pantry. Uh, It is exceptionally large because there has been excesses in both the federal and state programs that's being dispersed. Plus, not knowing about that, I ordered through the food bank as well. So there's a major order coming in, and Curly and I can't unpack it ourselves on Wednesday morning. So... Anyone who's free and has the physical capability of lifting, not real heavy, but lifting, please come by around 10.30, 11 o'clock this Wednesday 
so that we can unload, get stuff downstairs, and get it over with quickly before noon, okay? Um, now, I need to tell you something. I ordered food this week for the first time since we opened the food pantry from Hillside, and I spent about $300, okay? A couple weeks ago, Nancy had an, uh, an encounter with a local pastor who's starting a church, uh, and she shared about what we were doing in the food pantry. He said, we'd like to help with that. So when he came to meet me at consistory meeting Wednesday night, I told him about it and said that a lot of our clients were African-American folk from New Brunswick. This morning when I came in, in my desk drawer, Nancy had placed a sealed envelope. You'll never guess how much money was in the envelope. Yeah. Now you tell me that resurrection is not real and that the Lord is not sovereign, and I'll take you on, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Um, we will have, uh, beginning next Sunday and the Sunday following, love offering. Uh, Mike has been with us for, it seems like, forever. Uh, like, you're one of us, and we're going to miss you terribly, Mike. But we want to give Mike a love offering for his work with our young people, with helping us here at the church, helping us at Trinity House. We also want to send a love offering to Dimitri, the young, the young man that painted the mural outside the, the food bank, uh, he spent weeks at that, and we really never gave him anything for his time and energy. And uh, I'd like us to send him something. So over the next two weeks, next Sunday, the Sunday following, we'll be taking love offering. Um, that is over and above your giving to the church, just a way of saying thank you for these two gifts of lives shared with us over the past years. Okay?